The Hangman Meets Death. 1852. This new year leapt into being, one of those every four years blessed or cursed with an extra day. It's said that this stolen day allows a gateway for things that only usually exist in our imaginations and that they take their chance to bound into being. But it's a folk tale told by poor country farmers and no one believes that anymore. The year started on a Thursday and into this world popped James Berry. His mother's midwife, Connie Brack, smiled as she lifted his sticky red head Thursday's child has far to go. As baby James took his first lungful, he cried and coughed almost simultaneously, for the London air of the 1850s was full of muck, and Connie thought to herself, as she often did, why do the newborn scream so? Is it because they don't want to leave the cosy, warm, pink-lit cave in which they've been ensconced, or because they know what's coming? She can be forgiven for this morbid thought, as more often than not these children of the poor didn't live much past their fifth birthdays, and when they did their lives were miserable and hard. But not so for James Berry. Clever, ambitious, impulsive and romantic, James spent his early years in the police force, arresting the hungry for pinching bread, splitting up fights caused by too much ale and not enough hope, chucking girls in cells for satisfying the colourful desires of men who look just like their fathers. After hours, he'd go and have a drink with William Marwood, cobbler and part-time executioner, and they'd spend their nights discussing the merits of hanging the true guilty, not those for whom crime is the only option. When Marwood died, Berry applied for his job, stating... I'm no sadist, nor a madman, and I have a method quick and painless. He would be paid handsomely for the grisly task, ten pounds a time, when a loaf of bread was only a penny, and he secured the position and waited for the order. So far, so simple. But this was a leap year. 131 hangings later, Berry had done his job but in the pursuit of improvements in the standards of his craft, he had been investigating the refinement of the long drop, intended to diminish mental and physical suffering. There'd been some errors with this experimental method. Too long a drop meant the rope had decapitated poor Robert Goodale and barely a month later had not had any effect at all upon murderer John Conway, save bruising his neck and ruining his singing voice. Berry spent the next 48 hours alone, with only himself for company and a bottle of scotch. He was fretting over his new method and spent his time practising with bags of cement, gallows and trapdoors, like a grisly magician. Two days and two nights without sleep, practising how to kill. What made him different from the various thugs who gulleted girls in rancid East End alleyways was only a salary and the letter of the law. By midnight, on the second evening, he was half mad from lack of sleep and a diet of chewing tobacco and whiskey. Hello, James. I said no one to come in. The rent's by the door. Get out! 
I thought I could help. Um, something of an expert. James looked up to see a grey-eyed man, beautifully dressed, carrying a silver cane. Who? He began, but he didn't finish the question as he knew exactly to whom he was speaking. You're... Yes, I am. Death, whom you usually only see once and then with some relief, had slipped through the cracks of the 29th day of February 1852, aided by Berry's semi-hallucinogenic state and paid the executioner a visit. Death to death, as it were. Let's clear a few things up, said Death. I'm not the devil and I'm not interested in the petty arguments of competitive gods. I'm not evil. Like yourself, Mr Berry, I'm just doing my job. I have no concern with guilt or innocence. It's none of my business. I cannot be moved to either compassion or cruelty. You are the river man, bringing people over from one shore to the other, and until these times change, as they surely will, I'll help you do it well. Thank you, said Berry. However, continued Death, everybody has their time, Mr Berry. I'm sure you're aware of that, a time to live and a time to die. And you'll find if you try to take people before their time, they won't go. Or rather, I won't take them. There has to be order. Everyone, even the lowest amongst us, has a job to do. In case you're wondering why we're here. I need to show you something. Your streets are stalked by something that has no place here, travelled up to take away the last shred of hope from the poor, and he's a cheat and a liar, two things I simply can't abide. He thinks he can't be caught as he lives in our minds as well as in our streets, and he'll pop up again, no doubt, in distant times whenever there's a 29th in the second month. But you are here, sent now to see to him, And because of him, or despite of him, when he's gone, things here will get better. Come with me, said Death. And he tucked poor old James Berry under his insubstantial arm and lifted him upwards like a malevolent Peter Pan. To James, it just seemed like he had fallen to sleep, lullabied by the gentle voice of Death. It's just a short journey, Mr Berry. And they flew away, above the stinking turd-filled Thames, fizzing with swollen bodies and sacks full of unwanted kittens. They travelled, by the light of the full moon, circled with smog, to the music of baying mutts and fighting toughs from the riverside taverns. Down Hangman's Alley they flew, where the bats were shrinking and the cats were stinking and the rats were shivering in the sewers, where the spiders crawled up prostitutes' alleyways past a guttering candle in a hovel, lighting up the unwashed faces of newly orphaned children, past little Annie the flower girl, her flaxen curls and rosy cheeks disguising a life harder than we will ever know. Poor Annie, said Death. It's nearly time for her to go. Poor Annie, bent horribly out of shape before she was even out of nappies. From her jack-frost-bitten fingers she drops her last posy of violets. Down, 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 it falls into the gutters, alive with rats squealing, and it seemed to Mr Berry that they fell too, following the violets as they drifted downstream. Past Mr Mavis the butcher, 
wiping blood-stained hands on his stripy apron, another day over, preparing tripe and sawdust pies for the poor. Away, away, towards the glittering lamplight of Piccadilly, Mr Berry could see the ladies in their velvet capes and powdered gloves spilling out of chandeliered theatres on the arms of buttered-up gentlemen with their handlebar moustaches and leather riding boots. Past Charlie and his pram full of chestnuts, past the hawkers, the stalkers, the mawkers and the match-sellers, up to Oxford Street, full of shop windows with silk umbrellas, they flew over Bloomsbury Square, Lincoln's Inn Fields, over the stink of Spitalfields, down to Bucks Row, Whitechapel, where girls dressed as boys and boys dressed as girls sell their innocence for a dull silver penny. Look down, Mr Berry, said Death. And Mr Berry obeyed, no longer sure whether he was awake or asleep. Look, the light is on and the lamps are lit in old Tom's gin palace. And they slowly drifted onto the cobbles Mr. Berry pressed his chapped nose up against the beveled, soot-grimed windows and saw the oil lamps alit and sitting at the table with a pile of steaming eels and a finger of gin, three girls, Nellie Dean, Lizzie Pope and little Mo. I'll be back with them before their 25th birthdays, but not tonight, for they still know how to enjoy themselves, smiled Death. Come, come, come and make eyes at me down at the old bull and bush. La, 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 la. Come, come, drink some port wine with me down at the old bull and bush. There they go, giggling out past closing time with sailors on their arms, back to flea-bitten lodging rooms for the promise of love and the certainty of disappointment. All except poor Lizzie afflicted from birth by a syphilitic mother. Buck-toothed, hair-lipped, cross-eyed, she begins the long journey home alone. Lizzie decides on a shortcut, for the night is cold. What's that? The flare of sodium, the strike of a match against cobbles, who is behind? There's been talk amongst the girls, whispered Death, of a handsome stranger who fillets and guts the girls like so many kippers and leaves them trussed and dead in the mouldering leaves. We're here to stop him. He'll be found, protested Mr Berry. The police will find him. It's not my job to. But he's after their wombs. He doesn't want anyone else to be born. He's after the end of you all, Mr Berry, and that I can't tolerate. It's not right, said Death. He should leave you to fight amongst yourselves. What's that? The strike of blade against blade, of sharpening knives, the swirl of fog and the swish of a cape. Lizzie walks faster, breaking into a trot, bare feet slapping against flagstones, panting, fiercely. And who's this coming up behind her, eyes like coals in the dimly lit passage, hot breath against her pockmarked skin, manicured nails digging into soft flesh, glint of steel, flash of blood... As the murderer glanced up, he saw Death and the hangman watching him, and he recognised them both, and they saw him. Mr Berry felt a sudden chill, and Annie took her chance to scarp her with nothing worse than a scratch on her belly, although she'd never be the same again, poor thing. You see, Mr Berry, said Death, just as the girls have been saying, he doesn't belong here. 
and James had to agree as he fought against himself not to run. The murderer stood frozen, his fingers sticky with entrails and mucus. Go home, said Death. I'm sure you're missed. Two months later, James Berry performed the long drop, perfected at last, on the body of one William Worth, convicted wife murderer. It was said, but never proven, that he may have been Jack the Ripper, and true to tell, the murder stopped after that. Berry never recovered from his ordeal. Although he understood his nightmare to be a result of alcohol and sleeplessness, he drank now in earnest and preached where he could on the terrible weight carried by the hangman and he pleaded for the abolition of capital punishment. Five years later, when his sands had run out and he lay hot and stinking in a makeshift cot in Hamsditch, his last dying words overheard by his priest were, There you are. I wondered when I'd see you again.